right, my friends. Well, welcome back to Trekology. Here we are yet again. Thank you so much for joining us on our trek through trek. trek. Yes, yes. Or whatever the heck it is that we our do. Our voyage? Our voyage through trek. That seems ridiculous. <laughs> Um, but introductions are always in order. So as always, I am one of your hosts and my name is Jeff. And with me always is my co-host, Greg. How's things, Greg? Pretty good, Jeff. I'm bouncing a baby literally right now in my arms. Yeah. Trying to keep her from crying. So if you hear some crying, that might be me. But it's probably bouncing. Yes. yes. (laughs) So what is it about bouncing that babies seem to enjoy? Is, are they okay. just like, what is happening? <laughs> My understanding is that in utero, they're, you know, when their mother is walking around, yeah. they bounce in there. And it seems like all the calming techniques for a baby are related to making it feel like they're back in utero because really i think that all human beings just want to go back into utero when they're first born until they realize you know they got more freedom out here yeah they talk about like getting in the fetal position and stuff like that even the shushing you know when you you know you you also hear that same sound when they do the uh when they find the heartbeat on the baby it's because that's the sound that they hear the whole time when they're in there the you're just mimicking that sound interesting interesting pretty it's pretty astounding the kind of things that we do with the baby yeah it's trying to make them feel like they're back in utero because they don't really want to be out here it's bright it's I cold suppose. it's loud sometimes <laughs> you got an older brother trying to poke you all the time yeah yeah. Although that is the one thing that I found about the experience of uh, having uh, a child is that it felt like a lot of what the doctors did was like educated guessing where I mean, even like when the baby is due, that's just a guess based on 40 weeks like they don't really they yeah. don't have any scientific data to say because the fluid levels are this we can predict this exact it's just i mean i guess that's that's what medicine is is medicine is you look at these things you based on previous history you say this is the best guess that we got it just seems i don't know again it's somewhat of the star trek thing where they have a little tricorder that can go boom 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 ah you are 7 months pregnant or something like that like the right. the, the the machine will tell you which is different than i guess a i'm seeing this and i think that's what this means so <laughs> you know we think bouncing will it seems to have an effect the baby doesn't seem but i mean again for all we know the baby is you know secretly thinking like why do you keep bouncing me i'm not able to cry when you do this like i don't know i don't know i don't know all i know is it puts her to sleep so there you go there you go so i mean again it logically makes sense like you said the whole utero uh, that thing and the whole swaddling and the Wishing yeah. and shushing, you know, uh, yeah, it all it all makes sense based on the information that we currently have. So, right, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? How about you, Jeff? How are things going with you? Oh, all right. You know, we've been getting a ridiculous amount of rain. We oh, had boy. our second atmospheric river is passing through, which 
I don't know. I mean, people keep saying that like we're supposed to know what that means. Like, oh, oh it's another <laughs> atmospheric river. It sounds bad, but uh, or good, or I don't know. It doesn't really make sense if you think there's a river in the sky in the atmosphere. Like, why? <laughs> what? I don't know. It was the same thing. I remember when I was a kid that they had that was the first big deal with El Nino coming to California, and they're like, oh, look out for El Nino and one you know if you speak spanish it's the child it's like well that's not as intimidating as i was expecting but <laughs> we don't know what that means but we were supposed to because they talked about it on the news all the time they really did right they hyped it so much saturday night live had a chris farley sketch where he was a dressed up as a mexican wrestler uh and he was he was forecasting the weather and he was saying like for those of you that don't uh, habla espanol el nino is spanish for the nino and, yeah that was always that's that's what i always think about el nino but you know here we are so weather does always seem to dictate my life in some way this this or at least the way that my day is going to go uh in this era of my my life so um inside because it's raining though it's not technically raining at this exact moment i can actually see the sky so that's exciting that's exciting it rained so much last night our backyard is flooded yeah yeah we have a lake yeah yeah there was definitely like right when i had my lunch break from work was when it just it just started pouring rain and where you could hear it off of all the roofs and stuff like that so yeah that's fun for us in california it's still kind of novel you know if you live up in the the, the northwest or something then it's just like yeah rain it's like two <laughs> out of every three days out here so. we're not ready for it here no no even when they have... tell us it's coming we yeah. have no idea what to do it's true it's supposed to be 72 and sunny that's why it's california man that's why right that's why that's we built what... this place in the middle of the desert right Right. That's why we pay so much to live here. And that too. 72 yep. and sunny. I'm not getting yep. my money's worth here. Right. Anyway, but enough about the weather, my friend. What about some Star Trek? Any uh, uh, any experiences outside of our uh, episode we're going to talk about today? So I picked up a book the other day, Bahura's Song. I haven't started it yet. Excellent. I'm assuming it's not about her song from Star Trek V, right? Might be. The seductive really don't know. fan dance. Is she singing? She must be singing. Lieutenant Uhura's friendship with a cat-like diplomat from Yow, which I, I assume is pr pronounced meow, becomes vital when a plague threatens the population. The songs they shared are key to the cure. When the plague begins to infect humans, starting with Dr. McCoy, the crew of the Enterprise must work to decipher the songs and cure the plague. So basically, it's just the premise of, was that episode two of Strange New Worlds? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Same thing. There you go. There you go. There's only like six plots out there, my friends. So you just <laughs> kind of recycle the... All right. I, I, gotta, I have to admit, I'm not terribly intrigued. I, if I would have read that description, I don't know that I would have bought that book myself. But... It was pretty cheap. Okay. Well, that's always but good stuff. I am looking forward to reading it. Okay. Okay. I mean, my wife's a librarian, so we do talk about books a fair amount. Excellent. I I I read, you know, eighty books a year. So my uh, my investment on on books is not very high. Interesting. So I'm 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 
very prone to just picking up random stuff and reading it. Hmm. See, for me, like, especially speaking about your wife being a librarian is, I mean, prior to uh, my wife and I getting together, I don't know that I had been inside of a library in 20 years. And now we're inside a library like four out of every five days. And so it is. It, <laughs> we do it is have a of, wonderful library. Right. Well, and not only that, like now we live in a different city. So now I've got like three libraries in between me and you. So I'm kind of like, why would I ever buy another book? Like they're free. You just go to the library. And I don't know. I've got so many books already, but I, I'm not sure that. This one's available at the library. Really? No. I mean, it, it's, it's got that kind of feel to it. Hmm. You know, I wonder how many, <laughs> how many times it was published. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure mine's are original. So the Ontario Library, there are definitely larger libraries. I've found it impressive for what it is. <laughs> is it because it's not a county library? It's not in a major city. You know, I, I would expect going to like, you know, downtown Los Angeles library, I would expect to be this massive, you know, warehouse of books. Uh, like I, when we lived in San Diego, the San Diego library was massive and had like works of art on the walls and like Banksy had done, I don't know if it was Banksy, but you know, uh, there was a mural yeah. by a famous artist and stuff like that. I would say that our library though is big enough to have most things that you're looking for, exactly, but also small enough to feel really homey. Yeah. And I mean, your family and my family, we know, you know, a lot of the librarians were mm -hmm. close to a lot of the staff. Uh, just just, you know, a big call out to the Ontario City Library it's true. for it's being true. just an incredible community space. Yeah. For yeah. People. Which again, it's, it's when, wonderful. Yeah. When you have children, especially young children, you really discover, I think, some of these things that you never I mean, it's the same thing, too. Like, uh, what was it? Uh uh fire the the firehouse's open house we never miss it uh but i i you know five years ago before i had children i didn't even know such a thing existed i had never yeah. once who would even think about like what are community events going on but that's a really big deal to us now that we have children because you know that's what what the heck am i going to do with these kids but you know hey going to see the firefighters in action that's, that's obviously <laughs> a, a big win so Good point. <laughs> exactly. All right. So um, let us dive in, my friends, because uh, this episode, as you may recall from our previous episode, we are in the midst of talking about Star Trek Voyager and this episode, Latent Image from Season 5. So we talked about uh, in our previous podcast we weren't quite sure if we had seen this episode before so after having watched it greg had you seen this episode previously no i don't think i have i think i would have remembered it if i had seen it as a kid i think it would have made a big impact on me back then interesting okay okay yeah i know for me again uh, uh i had stopped watching uh shortly after uh i guess it was the beginning of season four um, although even that, I don't think I was, I think I missed a bunch of episodes in season two and three, but season four was when I definitely stopped watching. So season five, yeah, I definitely had not seen this episode. Um, although I was aware, like, well, obviously, uh, did we see it in that episode last week? I don't remember. Um, but like, uh, I had 
remembered that the doctor had gotten like a mobile emitter so he could like go around, which doesn't really make any sense. Like, I don't quite know what this science is that he has a mobile holographic emitter so he can just wander the ship. Like, that's literally the whole thing with Moriarty in Star Trek Next Generation is that he can't do that. He's a hologram. You can't leave the holodeck. And now, right. I mean, granted, in Sick Bay, the idea is that there's like a hollow projector. So he is being projected into Sick Bay. But I don't, yeah, the concept of then letting you roam around freely. So this is a mobile projector. I don't know. Maybe that makes sense. I don't know. It's a little, it's a little fuzzy, but nonetheless, that, that, that's, you know, a part of it that now he can roam freely. And, uh, there is that thing. I think there was something at one point that he had the ability to turn himself on and off. Is that true? I, I think so. That's what it seems like. Okay. For, for the first season or two, every time they went into sick bay, they would activate him and he would say his, what is the nature of the medical emergency? Like that was his right. startup routine. Um, and they disabled that at some point, which was interesting in this episode. Then when they, they wipe his memory, that's how he reengages is he starts off by saying that. Right. Um, which he doesn't seem annoyed at, which is somewhat interesting, but you know, maybe that's part of it too. I wonder how much he, he knows that he's doing that. That he's saying that, that phrase. Yeah. Hmm. Cause I mean, he is a hologram. Yeah. Well, and that's part of this episode is that whole question, which is funny for me. And I, and I mean, I guess that was somewhat of the point is that they didn't dwell as much on his rights as a hologram. Because one, yeah. I have a feeling there's been previous episodes where they've dealt with that. Because uh, like Janeway even referred to like, you know, how much do we treat him like he is an individual and et cetera, et cetera. So it feels like this discussion has already come up. But I know for me watching this episode, uh, I was kind of like, well, here we go again. Like, I don't know how <laughs> the that next generation episode we covered last year, uh, Measure of a Man. I'm like, how did that not resolve this whole, are these like sentient beings? Like, I thought we did that. But clearly, like we talked about in The Offspring, clearly we did not because Data is still, they're still wrestling with whether or not he is an actual sentient being. Uh, then, you know, Picard season one is all about that exact same thing. Right. And here we are again. Like, is the doctor actually a sentient being? Can we just wipe his brain willy nilly whenever we want? Clearly, you know, Bolana does it again in season seven with the episode we talked about last week. Yep. For me, I'm already sold. Like, Measure of a Man sold me. So the fact that they keep going back to it, I don't know. Like, are we as the audience supposed to still be like, the jury is still out on whether <laughs> he has rights or not. Well, maybe just not everybody agrees. I don't know. Do you agree? I'm assuming you agree. W agree on what exactly? That that the data and the doctor and things of that nature like are individuals that have individual rights. Yeah, I'll agree with that. That it, it's unethical to treat them exactly this way. Yes. Yes, that they, yeah. And so whatever we're using the word sentience or whatever, that they, they at the very least, yeah, we, we can't, we can't treat them as property is, is the, 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 the broadest term I think we would use. Right. Yes. Yes. I would agree with that. If you haven't seen this episode again, we're talking latent image from Voyager season five. 
This is the one where the doctor, the cold open has the doctor uh, kind of a weird thing that is happening where I guess they're doing full body scans is essentially, but it's only through his hollow emitter camera. I don't quite like we have body scans today. Why don't they have full body scans now? But it's something where you can, oh, look, here's a geograph or like a, a holographic representation of your skeleton and your nervous system, which was kind of creepy. Yeah. They in doing that. And for some reason, he decides to do Harry. And when he does Harry, well, I guess he was doing everybody, but for some reason we focused in on doing Harry Kim. Uh, he noticed that there was scar tissue from a surgery that he had performed, but the doctor had no memory of that. So then we go back and we find out that his memory was actually wiped because he had a traumatic experience. Uh, and so that's kind of what the episode is about, wrestling through that traumatic experience. Or at least whether or not his bra brain should be wiped again to help him deal with that traumatic experience. Um, so anything for you, Greg, that like, uh, I don't know, jumped out or any like little nuggets from this episode that, that caught your attention? Well, like we were talking about, Belana hacks the doctor again in right. season seven. And I feel like they need to increase the security on the doctor or the doctor needs to increase <laughs> his own security here. Right. Because apparently it's not too difficult for any high ranking member of the crew to get into his system there obviously right, you know right. he made a he made a backup copy of his data that was then uh he he re-downloaded into him in, into himself yeah uh during that scene he should probably just do that regularly do that all make the time, sure that every no, time he shuts down nobody yeah. is messing with him also what is a holographic doctor doing with a camera so much right like yeah. that, that was bizarre. <laughs> well, I feel like, and and I don't remember. Did it come up before in a previous episode? I mean, they certainly made it seem like it did. Like he he even says at one point, like I was quite, quite the shutterbug yeah. back then. Where it's kind of like this is a hobby of his, which is another thing that's really you know like that's as they're developing this character of the Doctor that he has hobbies and interests and yeah. things that he enjoys for one reason or another. So yeah. yeah, it is, it is baffling to me going back to the, the hacked again and again. I don't know. It just, it, it seems like the world of the show, like it, it, it's like, we're still not wrestling with this on a regular basis. It's it, the, like this will go one episode and they're like, Oh yeah, this is fine. Like it, it's just, like, again, haven't we been through this all before? Like, you're not just going in and hacking data, are you? But I feel like even at this point, as we've had all of these years to wrestle with these questions, I think people still would. I think they'd have that exact same quandary of, like, can I just go and hack data? I think I can. I think I should be able to. And that would be, like, uh, uh I guess that's okay. Like, I, I don't know. It just ba baffles me that we haven't come to such a firm conclusion yet. Yeah. Because when, when, during measure of a man, when Picard is on that case, that's like a legal case that should sense some precedent. Right. It, Although like, like, remember, like we pointed out when we watched that episode, the conclusion was not that data is sentient or not that like, that wasn't where they landed. They just landed on we don't want to create a slave race. Like that was it. Like that was that was the extent of their conclusion. Mm -hmm. Not that he necessarily has rights. Not that he necessarily has you know is a alive even. Um, and that 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I had never, in my previous watchings of Star Trek, I had never thought about this as a main theme of the show. But I'm kind of noticing this undercurrent, whether intentionally or un- unintentionally, that seems to come up a lot. And then Picard, obviously season one, picked up on that. And maybe they were like, hey, you know what? You guys talk about this a lot. And maybe we should turn Picard into a robot. yeah yeah. that'll show him right i do wonder and i mean neither of us have watched picard season two which i suppose at some point we have to i wonder if q they just said like why don't we just have q show up and turn him back into a human i wonder (laughs) if they did that just so that they get away from this whole android thing you know my wife has been watching uh season two and i think she's in season three now oh wow okay yeah, so maybe we should I have her on brain. to talk Picard. <laughs> so she's watching it without you? Yeah, you know, we have wildly different <laughs> schedules now with the baby. Okay. So, yeah, she watches it she watches it at night while she, she takes care of the baby. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I I was somewhat surprised, I guess, based on previous captains, how almost uncompassionate Janeway seemed. Because, like, she did not seem, like, initially she did not seem to have an issue with wiping the doctor's memory because it was kind of like, we need him to perform his, I mean, that's even her argument. He is not a human. He is not real. Seven of nine, you're different because you're human, which that bothered me too. Or it was just like, so if she was part, like, Andorian, you wouldn't have this issue, but because she's human, like, is this like a, you know, human-centric whatever? And then they did kind of put her so that she's, uh, you know, she's the one that does sit up with the doctor at the end. But then she falls asleep, which, okay, I don't blame her for. She has a fever. That was kind of weird. Um, But there was definitely, I don't know, her demeanor, even when she was sitting with the doctor, she seemed more like, I don't know, more like, do I really have to be here? She didn't seem compassionate to me. No, she really didn't. And I don't know, uh, yeah, that was a, an interesting dynamic, I thought. No, you're, you're absolutely right. She doesn't seem very compassionate. And I, I feel like I remember her being more compassionate in the earlier seasons. Hmm. Um, and I'm wondering what that, what that evolution is like, you know, for her character. By this time, she's kind of projecting the more serious, you know, not friendly captain and and i wonder if that's a response to just women being in charge and the kind of thinking during the time that it was filmed yeah you know how how do we how do we depict a woman in charge yeah i mean but at the same time there is also with all of the captains and again that's kind of my beef with uh pike in in strange new worlds there is a distance with all of the captains between that, like I am the captain. So I am set apart Uh, and not necessarily in an arrogant way, but just like, again, that, that was the whole premise of the final episode of next generation is that Picard, like wouldn't play cards with his crew because like, that's not what a captain does. There's a certain level of, of distance. Uh, Cisco, the same sort of a thing. Like even, you know, what is it? The take me out to the hollow suite where he won't let the crew in on the fact that this is a rivalry. Cause he's like, no, I'm the captain. Like, this is my, I'm, you know, the, there's a, there's a distance that needs to be there. 
So there's there's some of that that she shouldn't be like, hey, everybody, let's go hang out. I don't know why she uses that voice. But, you know, <laughs> that's not who a captain is supposed to be. Um, but some level of, you know, thinking about Kirk or, uh, you know, that was definitely the thing, like you mentioned, you always use the word love, especially about Picard, about saying that Picard loves his crew. I, I don't know if that's quite the right word that I would use, but it is definitely a like uh, um, a fatherly care. Like I, I am, I am the shepherd of this group. And so I care about all of them and I will defend them and et cetera, et cetera. And that's why he sticks up for data. Cause he's like, this is a member of my crew and I, you are not doing this to them. And I don't know that again. It, so it, that's where I would expect Janeway to kind of be like, this doctor is a member of my crew. And the fact that she, essentially fails maybe that's the whole point of that final scene is just to kind of be like yeah um she does actually care she's the one that's willing to sit up for 18 hours with him yeah let's talk about that ending what what happened at the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, what was thought, the point? like i yeah. i feel like generally you have you have a better uh a better <laughs> understanding of what's going on in these stories but what what's huh. going on here I mean, so for me, I do like the whole going back to the ship, isn't it? Yeah, of Deep Space Nine, where they go to capture this uh, Dominion ship and then a number of uh, 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 crewmen end up dying. Uh, and then there's like conflicts between everybody. And then the, the episode ends with Worf and O'Brien like sitting watch over the dead bodies. And it's almost that, I mean, that's, that's different. Obviously that's about like Stovacor and blah, 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 blah. But this idea of like, you know, we've talked about maybe like Job and Job's friends sitting with him in his pain and his misery. There's a certain level of that, which I really appreciate. Like there is the, like the being a friend by being willing to be there, be present with you in your pain. I really like that. And I think that's some of what's going on, but I mean, one, there's a very strange, like, oh, we're all going to take a shift. But then apparently Janeway takes an 18-hour shift. So it's like, and then she tells Tuvok, no, forget it. Like, I got this. So were they not actually all taking shifts? I'm not quite sure about that. Then Janeway apparently has a fever. That seemed unrelated. But then that was like, wow, you're really sacrificing for the doctor? I guess. I, that part was a little confusing. But then the doctor's saying, like, no, I'm fine, go and rest. I guess that was the resolution. I don't know. That part, I didn't understand that. Because it didn't seem like it was resolved. It seemed like, no. okay, next episode, the doctor's still going to be messed up. And But I don't think he was. I, don't, I haven't seen the next episode to know. Yeah. So I, I'm wondering, like, what's the resolution on the doctor's side? Is he yeah. better now? It, it, is this supposed to say, like people care about him you know he's got to get back to work right right and i mean and maybe that was part of it again i don't think that's if that was the goal i don't know that that was conveyed terribly well that some combination of him caring for her well-being uh the the the, the captain's well-being by saying like you are sick uh, like here is how i will care for you by telling you to go and then saying i'm i'll be fine go lay down like is that the resolution 
that doesn't seem, I mean, and that's what I want us to talk about in just a sec about the whole, like the way they conveyed grieving. Um, is that a misunderstanding of grieving is that as soon as you say you're okay, I guess you're okay. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Yeah. That was a little, well, that was a little rough for me. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about that. Let, for, first of all, my, my question is, is he grieving like as a hologram? Yeah. Is he grieving? Is this, is this just an error in his programming? As as I mean, Janeway seems to think it's just an you know a bug, right? Well, and that was what was interesting, which they touched on but didn't. I don't know. They didn't. I mean, it was so late in the episode that they didn't really expand upon this idea that uh, she said something about that um, what he has become is conflicting with his his like programming as a doctor or something like that. And that's the, 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 the issue, which is weird because then she treats it in a very kind of like mechanical clinical way. Right. Um, Which is also the thing. Nobody else says anything about this. It's only her to say like, well, maybe this is a programming conflict that we need to resolve in a different way rather than wiping his program or something like that. Um, but because for me, the idea that he is becoming more self-aware or more independent or whatever, or, or sentient, whatever, you know, however we use that word. Um, and so that he is actually forming relationships. He's actually caring about the people, um, that he interacts with because like a human doctor. And I mean, it kind of made me think about like, there's a, a famous episode of Scrubs where, um they what is it dr cox is who's like the attending physician um he's pitching a perfect game they say which is basically like this because if you've not seen scrubs the whole show it takes place in the intensive care unit and they establish early on that one out of every three people accepted into the icu dies there so it's death is a big part of the show um and there's this one episode where an entire shift, no one has died. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they convey that as like, he's pitching a perfect game. And so this is going through, but then at the end he makes a call and it results in like, I think it's like six people, something like basically everybody in the ICU all dies. And he That's just right. goes through this like catastrophic, like, grief and just like i can't do this anymore and stuff like that which is a totally understandable human reaction like right. the how doctors somehow deal with the fact that they're fighting and working and trying to save this human's life and then they die and you have to go back to work the next day is is crazy uh and so for the fact that the doctor is actually experiencing that i think you know is is like a, a he's you know, establishing these, these emotions, I think. Um, and so, yeah, going through the grieving profit process for me totally makes sense. Yeah. And obviously when they programmed the doctor, they programmed him to have compassion, but he talks about how, how he was also programmed to be able to make these choices, right. you know? Right. Because I think the the idea of the programmers was that, he would be the perfect doctor would be able to weigh these choices and make the good objective choice Mm. for the good of the crew. 
the problem here, according to his his uh, discussion with um, Neelix, is that how do you choose when they're both equal? You know, right? He right, chose yeah, his yeah. friend. He chose the one he was closer to, mm. and that's not that. That was my understanding of his conversation. The the crux of his problem, anyway, right? Was that he? They were both the same. He chose the person that he was closest to, which is yeah. not the objective decision. Right. They, Although, yeah. Yeah. I do wonder. I do wonder though if that was true or if that was his second guessing himself. Mm. Like, did he actually pick the person he was closest to, or does this just because, like, watching his decision, like, in, in, in the moment, it's literally back, forth, back, go. Like it's right. literally that quick. And I mean, is it really, well, I really like Harry. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, yeah. Who knows? Um, but again, that's, that's where for me, like the whole uh, study of grief, I guess. Um, and, and I don't know if we've talked about this. Uh, I feel like we've talked about this in some form before, but like for me, I, I've really found a lot of truth in the whole, like, what is it? Seven? Is it seven stages of grief that they talk about? Uh-huh. Yeah. And they're not necessarily sequential, uh, but sometimes, at least in my experience, a lot of times they are where you start off with, what is it like anger and then bargaining and then denial, or I don't know exactly exactly the the specific order, but you kind of see him going through those same things where he goes through anger and he experiences like second guessing and denial. And I I I don't know if second guessing and bargaining uh, are the same sort of a thing. Um, but, you know, even, yeah, like, as he does that whole thing with Neelix where he's talking about, you know, like, uh, how do you choose between two things? Like, that seems like part of the, um, whether it's the bargaining or or even, like, the denial sort of a thing. Well, I guess the denial comes before that, where he seems like everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Right. Um, yeah. And I don't know. Again, I definitely experienced that myself. And um, my understanding is that's a healthy way to process through uh, trauma, the, the, that difficult, um, emotional content. Yeah. I, you know, neither of us are doctors or nurses or anything related to, to people dying around us a lot. You know, when my daughter was born just recently, we spent a long time in the NICU and, uh, you know, you get, I mean, we were there every day for almost a month and, you know, you get you get close to the the nurses there, you know, because, you know, your baby's not really talking to you. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> as you do, you start talking to the people around you. And, um, you know, I talk to a lot of them. And I, I, I ask this is something I usually ask people, you know, who are trying to work and I'm talking to them right. is, you know, do you enjoy your job? And, you know, I want to know what they enjoy about it, what they don't, uh, just because I'm curious about people. So I, I asked, I remember I was talking to one who had been a NICU nurse for something like 30 years or something. And said, so, you, you know, you've been a NICU nurse for 30 years. Do you enjoy it? And she said that she loves it. You know, every day she's, hmm. she's excited to to go be with the babies. And I said, isn't it difficult sometimes, you know, when the... When, some yeah. of the some of your patients die, you know, isn't that difficult? And she says, yeah, she said basically that 
uh, she has seen a lot of babies die. And that's really, really sad. Yeah, I know. I know. Isn't that sad? My baby's <laughs> talking to me right now. And she is very upset about this talk, this conversation. I would think so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she says that she comes in every day with, with the goal of providing care and love to all the babies here. Still keeping in her mind that some of them might die. Wow. But she needs to, her, her job is to make them loved and cared for while they're here, which is just, I mean, terrible. Like how I, for me, I, I mean, I'm a very sensitive person. So being in that kind of situation, having that happen to happen around me all the time, that would, that would, I mean, that would ruin me. I, I could not do that. Somehow doctors and nurses, and especially those in intensive care, are able to do that every day, you know, to be able to, to, to keep working forward. And here we see the doctor who's supposed to be like, you know, the perfect, the perfect doctor. And he is having a really difficult time with this decision he made. So even... Even if they're trying to design the perfect one, the perfect doctor, who's not even human, he's still having these complications in his job. I don't know. Right. That that says something. Like, how much how much do we need to be able to put things behind us in order to function in society? You know, to be able to do our job. I do wonder though, like with the doctor talking about him being the perfect doctor. I mean, he, he is designed, they, they mentioned this early on in the show, I think he's designed to be an emergency. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah. So, so he's not, and I, I think that's kind of the point of initially he doesn't have compassion. He doesn't have, um, uh, 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 bedside manner. And, and even like we, we just, uh, my wife and I just rewatched the pilot episode and in the pilot episode, like he first gets activated, um, after the disaster of the, the caretaker grabbing them and, you know, they have tons of casualties and he's just going through going like, this one's gone, moving on. And like, that's triage where literally he's not like, oh, this one died. Like, let's fight and fight and fight to bring them back. You can't do that. You have right. to move on. This one, we can't save this one. We have to move on to this next one that we can save. And even though there's a, that one poor girl in the first episode, it's all like horribly burned. He's like, you're fine. You can return to work. And she's like, okay. And, and <laughs> so that's the interesting thing is that he's kind of developing. Yeah. Again, this compassion. And I think that's the challenge. Yeah. We want, I don't know. I guess we want doctors to have compassion or that they need compassion, but only so much. I don't know. I don't know. Like, like you said, like that, that is definitely an interesting thing in our world that, that does come up somewhat in this episode is um, like the doctor's, I don't know, faculty or usefulness or whatever. And the fact that like, is his compassion a detriment to him performing his function in this crew? Uh, and it seems like that's Janeway's like conclusion is that is that we need a doctor and this hologram is our functional doctor and it is malfunctioning because it has compassion so we need to eliminate that so that it can perform its duty 
And which again, you know, would they do the same thing to Bellana? Would they do the same thing to, you know, Tom Paris? And like, no, that, that there's some level of that um, prejudice or, or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I don't know. There's that interesting thing in our, our reality, our lives about is our main value to our world the function that we perform and yeah. is that the main like the 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 ideal human is the one that can best perform its function that does seem to be what we value right and putting and putting away very human uh qualities like grief and you know yeah just mental health in general, seem, putting those on the back burner so that you're able to function the best seems to be really important. You know? Exactly. Or even the purpose of mental health is so that you can perform your function. Whoa, that's deep. Right? Well, so I just started watching uh, Billions uh, on Showtime. Do you remember that? Have you heard about that show? With, I've uh, heard of it. Haven't Paul seen Giamatti it. and uh, yeah, it's it's. I don't. It, it seems like it's hitting me in the right in the right spot, but it's it's uh, it's definitely a, lo- a pretty rough. Like the language is rough. There's a uh, an unnecessary amount of nudity. Uh, but, Paul Giamatti uh, nudity. <laughs> uh, he's usually in his underwear, but we can get into that <laughs> another different time. Um, but uh, but w- one of the things that's interesting is that so his wife is uh works for a hedge fund and her job is to basically like counsel the um like the the traders to get back out there and to like be sharks that can you know make a ton of money and and it literally she gives them like pep talks and she says she partially enjoys that about her job that someone comes in they're like i don't know man i just I just lost a million dollars. And she's like, get back out there and kick butt like you know how to do. And he's like, okay, I'll go do that. And like, so her job is literally get you to perform your function. However is necessary, get you back up to that. And I feel like there's even some of that, like, I don't know, in some of the the various sports uh, shows, wherever they bring in. I don't know if they do that. They did that in Ted Lasso as much Ted Lasso um, is big on mental health right right they tried to handle it a little bit better because there's been other ones where it's like I mean even think uh, you're not really a sports guy but like there's the movie The Natural uh where the team is just losing so much that they bring in a psychiatrist but back you know back in the the 30s or whenever that's supposed to take place uh you know it's it's he's seen as like a a head shrinker and like a you know doing his flim flam and stuff like that so he's like picture yourself on a boat gently rocking gently rocking and robert redford's like oh i've had enough of this guy and he gets out of there <laughs> but that's the sad part literally the job is we don't really care how well you guys are doing mentally we just want you to win so will this help you win let's give it a shot and yeah i i, I don't I feel like that's kind of how we look at mental health a lot of times. We only go, if you go to a therapist, it's because you're not well. There's something wrong with you. Fix it. Yeah. And that's that's somewhat of a problem, I think. I think so, too. I agree. 
in your in your mind though what what is the purpose of going to to a therapist seeking mental health care I, I i mean i have not been to a therapist myself so uh i'm still kind of speaking out of turn in some ways my because because my perception has kind of been that is that the like especially historically for me in my life if you're gonna say oh i like i see a therapist then it's just kind of like oh like what's wrong you know, it is something is wrong and you should fix it. Uh, and that's what a therapist does. You need a professional, uh, professional help even. Because to some extent, it's kind of like, well, that's what friends are for. Friends are supposed to talk you through these sort of things. Friends are supposed to counsel you about all of this. Uh, and so that's why you get coffee in the morning sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> well, and to be honest, like especially as as uh, older men, that sounds horrible. But, oh, uh, as <laughs> I don't know, but like middle aged men. Oh no, no, that's even but, worse. <laughs> well, so people. Okay, well, let me rephrase this then. <laughs> So when I was in high school, when we were in high school, I saw my friends every single day. I went to school with my friends. I had classes with my friends. I had lunch with my friends every single day. It was not a question of like interaction because there was plenty of interaction to be had. Sometimes it was quality interaction. Like let's, let's hang out or let's do something together outside of school. Uh, but that's, that's, one level of interaction and then college you you know you it's a little bit different you maybe you have to find your little groups or or something like that but then post college for me at least going into the working world maybe you have some friends at work but not always you know and especially if you change jobs and then you go to a work environment where maybe you're working by yourself maybe you're not you know uh, uh, working with it, you know, you're working with people that you like, uh, or or maybe you just like. For me, a lot of times I would be friendly with people that I work with, but I wouldn't do anything with them outside of work. They weren't right. like friends; they were coworkers, and it's a very different life. And then for us at our age, it's this weird thing. Like it's kind of it's kind of a challenge sometimes. Like I've been through definitely seasons where it's just like I don't really have any anyone that I know that I would call a friend. Like I've got people at church that I see hi, say hi to. I've got people at work. I've got, you know, stuff like that. But is there, are there people that I would be like, Hey man, I'm really, uh, I'm really wrestling with this right now. Like, uh, not, not so much, you know? And I, you know, sometimes I would do that like through ministry, I do that with my students and I'd be like, well, here's what I'm wrestling with. And I'm like, that's probably not the best place to be bringing stuff. No. <laughs> So especially not for it's not their job to counsel me like that's that's not that's not what this interaction is about. I have a feeling that we're not alone or I'm not alone in that. I feel like that's a season of life that is very difficult, especially for men, probably for women, too. But men stereotypically. Uh, yeah, I mean, even that movie. What was it? Uh, Love You, Man was about uh, Paul Rudd getting married and he had no friends. And so his wife was, or his fiance was like, before we get married, you need a friend. You need to go and make a friend because I'm not going to be your only friend. And yeah, um, yeah that's and a that's, challenge. I, I think that's important. Uh, I feel like men especially have lost community. Mm. Um, and, and we see the results of that, I think, in, in a lot of, I love the rough things that are happening in the world right now. You seem like somebody, 
have would you say that you have been through seasons of not having many friends? Because I know you've talked about being intentional about developing friendships. No, I I I make friends, and and I I I uh, personally no, I I really haven't been through a season where I didn't have friends. No, you know what? I take that back. I just don't like to think about it that much. Hmm. There was one period in particular in my life where I, I felt very isolated and very alone because I didn't have any friends. Hmm. Um, when we moved to uh, Bakersfield, which is like, you know, three or four hours away. Yeah. And um, it was hard to get close to people there. I mean, the, the culture is very different. And we had just had a baby. So that made it doubly hard. And I made I made some friends like in the library eventually, you know, other parents. Um, but it took a while. And there was there was like a year or so there where it, I just did not have many friends. And like I've told you and and told the other people in our our, you know, our little community that we've put together intentionally. Um having friends is really important to me. Like uh-huh. that that's a very important thing in my life is to have friends. Um that's something that is really important to me. You know, I think it was last episode you were talking about how concerned you are about your son, you know, being all alone and stuff at school. Yeah. And it I have I have I think a related concern, not exactly the same one that you described. Uh-huh. Um, about my son not having his his group, his his tribe, you know, his oh, okay. squad, you know, people that that he can trust in, that will be allies to him. Yeah, you know, that that's important to me is people who will have your back. A part of that is being the person who has uh, their friends back, you know. And and that's that's also really important. And I think I think we see in this episode, maybe if anything is the point of this episode is like when we're grieving, we need people around us to help us process yeah. that. And maybe that's the point of the end. There is like we we need people to to help us process that. Because that was some somewhat similar thinking about like. Uh, our parents' generation. And again, I, and I don't know about your parents, but at least for my parents, uh, my parents had like a friend group, a couple of friend groups, but I don't, based on the interactions that I observed, I don't think the friend group was, that the, the, the nature of it was such where it could be like, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Or hey, like, you know, my job is just like something like that. It was kind of like a, you know, chit chat was kind of the level of interaction the level of of depth that they would have and same thing like even like in church small groups uh i've had like the 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 powerful small groups that i've been a part of are the ones where you can kind of share like you the the junk the, the having that level of intimacy to be able to say hey like you know it's almost like there's three levels to me there's like you know, and, I, you know, we always start this podcast, it seems I'm always worried about the weather uh, and that's surface level. And I can chit chat with the weather about anybody. And I usually do. Then there's kind of a level below that, which is kind of like maybe like, hey, you know, my job is uh, 
you know, struggling or like, like that's, that's really tough and et cetera, et cetera, and blah, 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 blah. And then there's maybe one level below that. There was just like, dude, I am 42 years old. And the only job I could get was Domino's pizza. What have I been doing with my life? Like that's, that's mm-hmm. a whole nother depth of like somewhat of the self-awareness, but somewhat of the, like, I'm letting people into like, yeah, my inner struggles. Um, and, and yeah, again, like, I don't know how many relationships um, people have. And again, especially previous generations uh, where it was probably not appropriate, you know, leave it to Beaver. You never talk about that sort of stuff. You, you shovel that stuff down and you just, you know, tell it to no one and hope that it just goes away. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, um, what, what is the purpose of, of sharing that stuff? I, I, I feel like, for me, it makes me, it makes me more complete. You know, I need to process mm. that so that I'm able to be more complete as a person, yeah. not to lose it because it's part of you, you know, right. not to lose that grief yeah. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. that, that, that disappointment in yourself or in the world, you know, that it's, it, that's part of your story you know, to yeah. sound really like, you know, uh, millennial here, but true. that's, that's part of your story. That's part of who you are, but it needs to be processed and yeah. processed in a healthy way. Otherwise it comes out badly, you yeah. know, and, and, and people need that. And if you're, yes. if you're going to refuse you or you in general, you know, the, the, the listening public or you in particular, if you (laughs) refuse to go to a therapist, then, you know, you, you, it doesn't stop you from needing to process that. Yeah. That stuff that's happening. Right. And, and so that's why, that's why friends are so important. It's true. You know, people need to have people around them who care about them. Yeah. And, and, we well, should be fostering that yeah and, and be an, that person yeah and it's an interesting thing which is again for me the the uh janeway's demeanor at the end of this episode uh kind of was was maybe the, the most confusing part because outside of that the fact one <laughs> that they kind of put the doctor in this room with his chair and basically <laughs> said sit there like like and he wasn't allowed to leave like that was a little i don't quite understand that but i mean where else is he gonna he doesn't have a home so where else is he gonna go um but the fact that janeway was sitting there with him not really she was like reading a book like that that was again that was a very confusing way they portrayed that but the fact that she's not trying to fix him she's not trying to say like here's what you do here's your solution she's not a therapist so she's not trying to like help him draw conclusions etc from what i understand that's a nice part about therapists too is that they don't do that either a good therapist doesn't say you know here's your problem this is what you need to do uh it more they more help you work through them yourself and she was just like essentially conveying through her presence i'm not going anywhere i'm (laughs) here i'm gonna stick with you no matter what I'm not going to wipe your memory again. I'm just going to stick with you all the way through this. Again, I don't know that they conveyed that as well as they should have, but that's a great posture, you know? Yeah. And so, yes. 
especially in the times when I've been grieving, like, I don't really want or need someone to be like, oh, like, you know, here's what you need to do. Or, and, you know, it's the sad part. And, you know, I still get this to this day after losing my last job. You know, people like, oh, don't worry. You know, everything's going to be fine. And God's got a plan for you. And, like, something better is coming. And blah, blah, blah. All of these kind of, like, uh, niceties are not necessarily what I need are not necessarily what actually helps the grief. They somehow make it worse sometimes. Mm. Uh, but just that like, Hey, like this sucks and I'm with you no matter what, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. That that's a powerful, you know, and I think like you said, that's a big thing that a friend can do. Yeah. And that really is the, the most important thing in a lot of times in our life, you know, is just somebody being there. I, I read once about this, I don't know, mental health paradigm about, you know, that somebody is there. You know, that that's, that's the most important part of a relationship is, and, and frames how you think about relationships in general. Do you know that this person is going to be there no matter what happens? Or do you... Do you know that this person's just going to be there for this amount of time and may leave at some point if things get too hard, yeah. if you do something wrong, you know, there's not that, that like n deep knowledge that that person's going to be there no matter what you can't do anything to push that person away, you know? And, and there are people that I feel like that about, like, like, I don't know, my brothers, for instance, there's nothing that they can do that will mean that we are separated forever. Right. There were times when I, and there have been times where I've been upset with them and I have not wanted to see them and I've avoided them and that kind of thing. But there is nothing that can happen where it's just like, nope, I'm done with you forever. You know? Right. And I, I feel that way about my kids too. Like I, I was telling my son the other day, there is nothing, nothing that you can do that will that will make me stop loving you. There will be things that you can do that hurt me and hurt you and are bad for you. And I feel really bad about that. And the, I, I might be really upset with you, but it's because I love you and because what you're what you decide to do isn't good for you but there is nothing that you can do that will ever 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 stop me from loving you yeah which is the tough part where it's like i think i think we sometimes take that for granted um uh, because the sad reality is there's there's plenty of family relationships that are not like that I there mean, are. we hear about all the horrible stories about like you know you're no son of mine you know and you that's know, you're terrible Right, right. Because and that it's... that shows that 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 person does not have that love that they know is is deep and can never yeah. change. Because that's that's so secure attachment, mm. secure attachment. That's what it is. That that secure attachment is so important as we go on and make relationships in the future. Yeah. Because if those basic, if those basic relationships don't feature that secure attachment then we get off on a wrong foot with everybody else. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Well, and like we talked about last uh, last episode, I mean, that's one thing about uh, Balana's trauma that is so challenging is the fact that she feels like her father abandoned her and she feels like it's her fault. And yeah. part of that, like that, 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 yeah, that shapes somebody. I mean, we talk about, you know, uh, or the, the trope these days is about fatherlessness. And I think that's one or just parentlessness, a parent leaving uh, feels, you know, it's not just a betrayal. It's like, yeah, it's, it's that foundation about yeah. Um, that. Yeah. That firm foundation is, is just not there. On that happy note, my friends, uh, we will uh, move on from this episode. I do realize that our next episode, which will come out, I believe, on Good Friday, we are going to be talking about Year of Hell. So that seems somewhat appropriate <laughs> to talk about Year of Hell right about the time that we dive into Easter. So, Although the ir- irony is that this is more hell in the... Um, uh, what is it euphemistic way where it's not actually talking about like literally the place of punishment that the the damned go when they die this is more talking about a really rough time like a, a bad year basically uh the year of hell so the one interesting thing if you are unfamiliar uh which both greg and i will have to kind of like uh be prepped for because this will be our first two-parter that we will do because you can't really separate or just do part one or part two so we're going to do both parts of year of hell uh i have heard this referred to as the voyager movie uh because it is kind of a self-contained story and it is you know considered to be one of the best uh voyager episodes so i'm looking forward to it i have actually seen this one so i'm looking forward to seeing it uh, again uh and then yeah see what we can chat about with this one so all right my friend uh any parting thoughts as we uh as we part find your friends find your people <laughs> help Beautiful. you through you know any sophie's choice you, you need to do oh in your my life. gosh <laughs> <laughs> just in case which i guess is what the doctor is doing right deciding which one lives and which one does not so whoo okay fun episode yeah we always pick the fun ones like i said year of hell coming soon so (laughs) good times everyone with all of that said my friends today though we will part you by saying live long and prosper peace and long life